This podcast is shareable. This show is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. To learn more about joining and to see all of our shareable shows, go to shareable.fm. Hey, what's up? It's Jeff. And I'm Caroline. We're your hosts of Shareable, the podcast about people and technology and the impact that those two forces have on our lives and careers. If you're a new subscriber, we want to thank you for subscribing. And if you're an existing subscriber, welcome back. We love you. And if you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? Get on it. Now, without further ado, let's get to the episode. Caroline, I had an incredible idea the other night, and I have to tell you about it. Tell me about it. I set up a phone number so that our audience can call in and tell us all about the ways that people and technology have changed their lives. That's awesome. I know. It's great. And they could also tell us what they like and don't like about the show. So I'm going to give them the number. Hopefully, they're ready for it. 551-25-SHARE. I hope they call in. 551-25-SHARE? That's it. How else can our listeners get involved? That is a great question, and I'm super glad you asked about it. I set up a private Facebook group exclusively for subscribers where they can get access to our guests, all of our goofy outtakes, and even special events. Wow, that sounds awesome, but how can they get in? Another great question, Caroline. Just subscribe to our email list. That's so easy. So easy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Shareable. We have a very special treat for you today. My co-host is back with us. Hello, guys. I've missed you so much. I'm so happy to be here. We've missed you, too. No. It's good no. to have you back. So uh, today, we um, we are following in the, uh, in the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We're, we're consistently bringing on people that are blowing our minds recently. So uh, in our last episode, we, we spoke with Mike Ganino, the great Mike Ganino with his great hair. And today, we have on um, a, a, a author who has changed both of our lives in the way that we're working lately. For sure. uh, and that is Joey Coleman. Joey, say what's up and tell people who you are. Humble brag it up. Uh, you are too kind. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And following in the footsteps of Mike Ganino, man, like I aspire to have Mike Ganino's hair. He's a gem of a human being. Uh, my name is Joey Coleman. I'm a professional speaker. I spent about two and a half weeks on the road every month speaking at annual meetings, conferences, trade shows, company on sites, you name it. If there's an audience there uh, that is looking for a speaker that's going to hopefully blow the doors off and help them get better at retention, referrals, and customer experience they bring me in. So I basically teach companies and individuals how to keep their customers. That uh, seems like it might be an important thing. <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's a shockingly thing that, you know, so many businesses are really, really focused on marketing and sales. And I have nothing against marketing and sales. But the number of businesses that spend a boatload of time, money, energy, and effort getting customers and then proceed to hand that customer off to the lowest paid employee with the least amount of resources and the least amount of power and expect them to retain that customer and continue to build on that relationship is shocking. And so I spend my time on a part of the conversation a lot of businesses don't give a lot of focus to, which is what happens after the sale. Do you feel that there's any particular, I, I, there's a loaded question. So we, nice. we are at an agency and I personally feel like Agencies might have this the worst of anywhere because you have so many different clients and so many different types of clients and different scopes of work. But in your experience, I know you've, you've done this with a fair number of companies and the results are, are shocking. But um, do you think that there's a certain uh, vertical or type of business that is going to need this more than others or struggle with it more than others? Yeah, I think basically any business that sells to humans 
If you um, don't sell to human beings, this doesn't apply to you, but we should have a separate conversation because I want to learn more about your business model. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, if you sell to humans, and I don't care whether that's a B2B or a B2C or a B2G, I mean, whatever acronym you want to come up with, you're selling to human beings. And if you sell to humans, there are some basic things we know about human psychology that you can be bringing to bear to really deepen these relationships. You know, I empathize with the agency perspective. I ran an agency for 15 years. And what this work really came out of that because I was hired by companies to create their marketing materials and their promotions. So websites, identity kits, ad campaigns, you name it, we were creating it. And what I realized is we could drive all sorts of prospects to the front door and even get them to come in the front door but then they were running out the back door as fast as we brought them in. And none of these companies, or very few of them, were focusing on the retention side, the customer experience side, the what happens after the sale to make someone really feel like they're part of the family and to keep them there, and ideally to bring their friends with them. And that's where you get into all the referrals. And so when I started to research this, I realized that as you look across all industries, somewhere between 20 and 70% of new customers will decide to stop doing business with you before they reach the 100-day anniversary. That was staggering to me. 20 to 70%. Businesses are hemorrhaging the customers that they just spent all that time, money, and effort acquiring, and nobody wants to talk about this, or no one is talking about it, or nobody's even considered it. Why, I mean, boil it down. Why do you think that they're not talking about this? Because, I mean, those stats are pretty, when you think about those kind of numbers and you think about, uh, I remember a stat from your book, something about a 5% increase in retention leads to some, I think it was what, like uh, 25 to 100% increase yeah. in profits, not okay. revenue. Staggering, profit, right? Yes. So these Staggering are not numbers. small numbers. These aren't like no. incremental improvements. So if that's the case, if it's kind of like such a clear cut case, why in the world isn't this a bigger conversation? Why is there still so much focus on the marketing and sales aspect when it, everybody knows that whole uh, saying of like, it, it costs more to get a new customer than it does to keep one. So if we all know all of this stuff, why is this so groundbreaking? Why, why have we brought you onto the show to talk about that customer experience is important if everyone should already know it? Well, I appreciate that. I think it's one of those things where uh, there's a couple of factors at play, right? There's the challenge with the human condition. There's the challenge with organizational structure. And there's the challenge with what's sexy. All right, so let's break each of those down. Okay, the human condition. The fact of the matter is human beings like the chase more than they like the catch. You talk to the average person, especially in the United States, they liked dating more than marriage. They liked the excitement of trying to find someone more than the commitment and the dedication it requires to keep someone. So at our very core level as human beings, we have biology working against us. Then we go into the organizational business setting. And here's how the typical organization works. Well, first of all, depending on whose studies you look at, somewhere between 70 and 80% of CEOs and founders came up through marketing and sales, not through customer care, not through operations, right? So as a result, they're predisposed to like the chase better, the marketing and sales piece of it, just by the fact that that's who's running the company. Then you look at how most companies work. The person who's responsible for marketing or sales usually reports directly to the CEO. The person who's responsible for customer care or operations or customer service usually reports to someone else who reports to someone else who then reports to the CEO. So even just the access to the leadership is dramatically different. Last but not least, what's sexy, okay? At the end of the day, the work that it requires to keep going deeper into a relationship, to keep finding the edges, the nuance, isn't, doesn't create the kind of rush 
that, ooh, this is a new person. I, the, the, the slate is blank. I get to learn all new things. There's no baggage. There's no history. So you get to start from scratch and they love you as you are without having to oversee any of the transgressions or missteps you might have had in the past. So you combine those three things together and suddenly everybody wants to talk about acquiring customers instead of keeping them. Do you think that, um, so I get all three of those, and I think there's a lot to unpack there. We could go down the psychology route. We could go down so much. Here's where I want to go. Um, I remember when, when you were on the, the podcast with Mitch Joel, um, I think it was Mitch that brought up, there was a quote from Mad Men by um, Richard Sterling, where he says, the day you sign him is the day you start losing him, right? Correct. I think there's something, when, when, when you guys were talking about that, when he said that, I, I kind of felt that as a gut punch because being in the agency world for you know almost a decade now, that's all too real. So I think there's a certain misery on the, on the other side with client work where it feels like you're just waiting until that happens. Whereas with the, uh, with the sale, there's this kind of culmination, this climax, um, without giving away all of the eight steps in your book, which I strongly, I can't even more strongly advise that people go and read this book. Um, but without giving that away, is there a way to create some of that sexiness or some of that climax in the ongoing pursuit of the customer experience so that that can have some of that sexiness. Absolutely. And I, I think that's why I encourage folks to focus on the first 100 days of the relationship. It's a short enough time period that it doesn't feel daunting, but it's a long enough time period that it allows us to have multiple touch points and multiple interactions with the customer. Now, the customer has the potential, I believe, to travel through eight phases in their customer journey with you. The crazy thing is in the typical business, they're maybe paying attention to three or four of them right? And everybody's spending all of this time on the early phases, the chase, the assess when someone isn't even a customer, and then leaving the time when they are a customer to, as just kind of an afterthought. I think the, the interesting thing about that uh, Roger Sterling Mad Men quote is that part of the, the psyche of somebody who works in sales is that they're, ex, they're anticipating no's they're anticipating rejections. They're anticipating loss. And so when some, finally they convince someone to give them a try and sign up, there's a huge emotional hit. We're excited. You know, I've had to get a lot of rejections before I got a yes. Woohoo, this is a big party. When you get on the other side of it, the psychology changes. And now it becomes the scarcity mentality of don't lose them. Don't screw it up. And I think just even the shift in mental outlook between chasing and trying to convince someone to join versus trying to hold on to someone tight enough that they don't leave, it, it, they're two very different mental philosophies and mental approaches that I think we see play out in our interactions as business people. So let me ask you one more thing about that before I let, I know Caroline has uh, several questions. <laughs> Caroline is patiently waiting to ask. Sorry, sorry, but like this <laughs> is, I have terrible. to as a follow-up to this. There, I was listening to a podcast recently where they were covering some of the ideas in behavioral economics and how people make decisions. And one of them is that one of the greatest motivators, one of the things that people are most motivated by is fear of loss. Sure. That's the case, right? You look at these two sides, you have the, the lack of fear of loss. Like there is almost no fear of loss except losing a sale that you didn't otherwise have. But there's this kind of like dopamine situation that happens once you get it and the neuroepinephrine thing that happens right before you get it where you're anticipating it, you're exciting, uh, it almost gets taken away, et cetera. So that's that side. But you have the fear of loss on the customer side. It seems like that should be more motivating. 
So it's curious that that's not the case. Yeah, well, see, here the, here's the interesting thing, I think, and I agree with you, you know, loss aversion is a huge part of human psychology. And to be completely frank, it uh, plays into the title of the book, Never Lose a Customer Again. Yeah, uh, that, that, was, that was not uh, unintentional, that yeah. it was positioned that way. Yeah. You know, there, there was a conversation of, uh, with the publisher, should the title be Keep Your Customers Forever? And I'm like, that is possible. And that could be the title if we were writing an ebook that was a lead magnet on a crappy website that you didn't want to give your email address to. But I'm trying to write something that can actually serve as the Bible for how you run your business in terms of your customer experience and your customer service. I think what happens is the loss aversion kicks in for the customer service rep or the person who's trying to hold on to the relationship. It doesn't kick in as often and as much for the business that, you know, hired you or the client or the customer side, right? Because for them, they forget the chase. They forget all the stuff they're in and now they're in it. And unless we're reminding them of all the steps they went through and how much we worked with them to get them up and running, they're going to forget that. And so it's our job to make it less about our loss aversion and more about their loss aversion and helping them to realize what they would lose if they decided to quit doing business with us. Okay. So I, I want to jump in here as someone who's a new account manager. Um, I can definitely relate to the feeling that you're describing. So I know that when I get on a new kickoff with a client, I'm always feeling this pit of nervousness in my stomach. I feel like I'm, I'm convincing them all over again that we're awesome and that we're going to do everything that we say we're going to do. And I feel like I can hear the skepticism in their voice. And so I guess what are your what are your practices for helping account managers overcome that feeling? Because that I'm sure that comes across, even though the it way does. that I'm speaking sounds confident, sounds like I know what I'm talking about. I've got a presentation, but like I know that that's translating. So what what advice do you give to account managers to overcome that? Well, Caroline, I think you're totally right. I mean, the fact of the matter is, as human beings, we pick up on a lot more than the words that are being said. Uh, We pick up on the visual cues. I mean, again, depending on whose research you look at, some people will say that it's only 20 or 30% the words, it's 70% the body language. And then people say, but Joey, we're on a phone call, you know, or or a webinar, they can't actually see me. And it's like, if you don't think they're picking up on the energy that's coming through, you haven't been paying attention. They absolutely are. I think the secret here is to come from a place of, of recognizing where they are and recognizing the impact that your energy or your enthusiasm has on the position they're at. What I mean by that, first and foremost, where are they? We've all heard of the phrase buyer's remorse, Mm -hmm. okay? We know what this means. We know that the research shows that after you make a purchase decision and the brain floods with dopamine, you feel joy, euphoria, excitement, this is going to be the product or service that's the answer to your dreams. That dopamine recedes and those feelings are replaced by fear, doubt, and uncertainty. We have buyer's remorse. But here's the crazy thing. I've spoken to you know, hundreds of thousands of people all over the world and I ask them, how many of you have heard of buyer's remorse? And pretty much every hand in the audience goes up. I say, great. How many of you have a system or process in your business to address that? Keep your hand up and every hand goes down. Right? We've all heard of it, but most of us aren't doing anything about it. So here's what we need to do. And this speaks to the energy that you bring to the table on that kickoff call. We need to recognize that the customer is going to be going through buyer's remorse 
and spend some time reaffirming their purchase decision. We need to have worked with sales to figure out why they made the decision. And we need to reiterate that we understand what the problem is or the goal that they have, what they're trying to accomplish, and that that's been heard loud and clear now that the salesperson's no longer in the conversation. We then need to set the tone for the type of relationship that they've never had before, a relationship that is enthusiastic, a relationship that is excited, a relationship that is anticipatory of their needs and their wants and their desires, instead of coming at it from a place of, ooh, I don't want to lose you. Mm -hmm. And instead, we come at it from a place of, you have no idea how well we're going to serve you. Let me give you some examples of things we're going to do and not only tell them about it, show them in advance. How cool would it be if you're having a kickoff call and the day before the kickoff call or two days before the kickoff call, your contact at the client received a handwritten note from you saying, I just want you to know how excited I am about the kickoff call. I understand that you want us to help you with XYZ. I think we're going to be able to do a great job together. Looking forward to getting the chance to e-meet in person on our Mm -hmm. webinar or web call. That would blow their mind. They yeah. haven't received a handwritten note piece of direct mail in at least six months to a year, okay, that didn't come from a family member and maybe ever. So long story short, these little tiny things we can do to build their confidence and to set the stage for the experience and the spectacle that is to come from doing business with us, it's, it requires work. It requires effort. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but it's not nearly as complex and complicated as people worry that it is. That's, I think that makes so much sense. And I know that I've tried to incorporate some of those things in the way that we're doing kickoff calls now, but like it could be just expanded to like that kind of writing handwritten notes that just personalized touch. But what next? What after that? How do you maintain that level of attention, especially when you're a growing agency that like already has 15 clients and two account managers? Yeah. So, the, so there's a couple of things that need to happen. I mean, one, there, there's what do you do as the account manager? And number two, what does your organization do? So let's take them separately. As an account manager, it's about keeping in regular contact and making sure that the contact isn't always business driven. You know, f- being friends with those people on social media and commenting on the post of their kid's birthday party. Um, You know, I was just on a call with somebody right before we recorded this podcast and the person called me in. It's a buddy of mine who's a fisherman. He's a speaker, but he has a hobby fishing. Okay, his name's Marcus Sheridan, an incredible speaker, right? I think, Jeff, you know Marcus, right? So long story short, Marcus yesterday posted on Facebook a picture of him with a giant sailfish that he caught. Amazing, amazing fish. So my caller ID comes in and I see that it's him and I answer the call. And instead of saying, hey, this is Joey Coleman or hey, Marcus or anything like that, I say, is this the greatest fisherman in the world? (laughs) He starts laughing because he knows that I've seen the post. Yeah. I didn't comment on the post, but and I wasn't stalking him, yeah. but it was fresh in my memory because I'm paying attention to what my friends and my family and my loved ones and my clients are doing. So I think little opportunities for that. At an organizational level, what we need to do is we need to recognize that the place to cut corners on cost is not putting 378 clients per account rep. Okay, that's not where you cut corners. We need to figure out a way to allow more people to touch more of our customers and to make it uh, so that that's a structure and a commitment uh, and a process within our organization. So one of the big conversations I have with a lot of business owners is, okay, how many people are your salespeople trying to court? Oh, well, our sales, typical salesperson is active tracing 50 accounts. Great. So how many people does your customer service rep handle? Well, they handle 75. 
So let me get this right. The person who's responsible for keeping the cash going that pays the salesperson's salary has to maintain more relationships that have already raised their hand and said, we're giving you money than the person who's chasing new relationships. And usually that's all I need to say. And they look at it and they go, oh, okay, right. We say customer service and customer experience is important, but if we actually look where we put our money, it's not where our mouth goes. It's somewhere else. It's interesting because um, maybe it's partly because earlier today I had the chance of, of talking with Mike and, and his whole thing about company culture. And it's an interest of mine. And maybe it's the fact that I'm a strategist, but I hear two things that kind of really come out as being the cornerstones of success here. Uh, one is that if you don't have the company culture that supports what you're trying to do with the customer, if you don't have everybody aligned, moving in the same direction, feeling the same way about how we treat customers and what are the things that you're allowed to do, not allowed to do that really uh, show how we value our customers, that, that's kind of one critical component. And the second is, is the process aspect, which so much of your book goes into like really clever aspects of process. The one that sticks out to me and that we've, we've been working on and trying is the whole handoff process between the sales and customer service yeah. or, or the account rep. And we've been looking at the, the example you gave with, I can't remember, was it Zenefits or it was, it was somebody that was, um, they did the video handoff where yeah. they walked over and right. that example. To, yeah, Total Debt Freedom is the company out of Canada that yes. does a video handoff between the salesperson and the account rep where so, they actually shoot a video with the salesperson talking into the video and introducing the account rep who's there in the selfie video. And then they email that to the client so they've actually seen the person who's going to help them going forward. So this was like fireworks for us because yeah. we work with love a, it. We work with a client called BombBomb and they make a video. Oh message. yeah, BombBomb's amazing. I love yeah. BombBomb. <laughs> so they're a client of ours. And when when I read this, I was so I had been reading your book and I had told Caroline to listen to the podcast. And when I got to that point in the book, I like ran over. I interrupted. I just barged in. I ran over. I interrupted whatever the hell she was doing. I was like, look, <laughs> and we work with BombBomb. We're doing this. And we, it, with BombBomb, we actually did a handful of videos with them. They were goofy as all hell. And I actually attributed a lot to, to the next scope of work that we're working together is that we, we actually used the, some of those kind of tactics to enrich that relationship and, and really get closer with the client in a way that I don't think that we had uh, previously. So there's like just such good, good process and ideas in the book as well. Um, I want to come back real quick to the culture thing though, because um, something I've been meaning to ask you about was... I remember in, again, in the, in the podcast episode with Mitch Joel, there was so much in that that I listened to it several times. Um, there was a, a situation in there where you talked about a company in which there was a really awful client. And you gave an example of how you encouraged this company to basically, you brought everybody into the room, then you kicked the leaders out, then you had the, the team talk about, so I want you to tell that anecdote again real quick, um, if you could, just I guess that's a good starting point. Absolutely. So if I may, let me tell that anecdote and then let me tell another little story, which will tie it together. And I think create a shareable moment of uh, what we can do going forward for your listeners, how they can implement this in their business. So in that particular scenario, a company brought me in to work on their customer experience and we got everybody in the room. And at the time, I think, I think there were about 20 people in the room plus the leadership team. And we were talking about customers that they love and customers that they can't stand. And I asked everybody to write down on a sheet of paper the customer that they didn't like. Uh, of all the customers they had, which is the one they didn't like, and they all handed it in. And it was something like 18 out of 20 or 19 out of 20 wrote the same name. 
not only the same company, the same individual's name at that company and handed it in. And so I had the executive team leave. I was like, we need to have a talk. And I was like, tell me the stories. And it was horror story after horror story of all the crazy abuse that this customer had done. And so I was like, all right, we need to fire this customer. And they started clapping right in the meeting. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a problem. So I brought the CEO and everybody back and I said, so here's what we're going to need to do. We're going to need to fire this customer. And the CEO is a friend of mine and he was like, uh, okay, not really what I hired you to do, Joey. Uh, but what, why, why, what's the story? And we, I started explaining and I said, look, I'm not going to ask anybody to speak out. I started explaining what the issues were. And the CEO said, you know what? All right, we'll go ahead and do that. Long story short, about 45 days later, a month later, uh, I'm on the phone with the CEO and he says, it's like we're working at a new company. Not only have we gotten rid of this customer that was sucking up a huge amount of time and resource for us, but morale has skyrocketed and a bunch of our customer service reps have actually turned into pseudo salespeople because they've increased the amount of business that we have from some of our other clients that more than covers what we lost, and it actually puts us ahead on our revenue projections. So long story short, the people who serve your customers need to know that management has their back. Now let's talk about how we do that. Second anecdote, I work with a company and they bring me in and the CEO is like, we wanna have Ritz-Carlton first class white glove service. And says this about a dozen times in our pre-calls and all the workshop, you know, Ritz-Carlton white glove first class service. So we get the whole company together. There's probably about 100 people in the room. I said, all right, here's what I want you to do. I said, how many of you have ever stayed at the Ritz-Carlton? The CEO proudly raises his hand, the CFO raises his hand, and no one else raises their hand in the room. I said, okay, next question. How many of you have ever flown first class? The CEO raises his hand, the CFO puts the hand down, and I look around and CEO is the only one that's ever flown first class. I said, okay, last question. How many of you have ever had a white glove service meal? And even the CEO puts his hand down. No one puts their hand up. I said, okay, here's the challenge. We can't expect our employees to deliver a remarkable customer experience, a Ritz-Carlton first-class white glove experience if they've never had that experience themselves. And here's how that relates to your culture. You can't ask your employees to create a remarkable experience for your customers if working for you isn't a remarkable experience. It's just, it doesn't work. They need to have a context. They need to have a framework. They need to feel that they have the level of support internally to create the type of experiences that you want them to create externally for your customers. Now, all of it. Every, every, oh, every bit of it. That just, I feel that deeply. Like, we're both so quiet <laughs> because we're, just, we're both just like, every oh my God, it, every bit makes of so it. much sense. One, one of the other things I think is related to that, um, and I, I think this is kind of like a final point that we can wrap on, um, and I'd love you to talk a little bit about this, is, you know, it can all sound very lofty and fun to, you know, spoil the customers they come in or get rid of the bad clients or whatever, but the kind of other side of that um, is that you have to pick the right clients in the first place. And you talk about that in your book. And I think that that's a really important point. And it's something that, you know, I ran my own agency for seven years. And now, you know, we got acquired last year. and We're part of a larger agency now. And, um, you know, while we're not fighting as much to like, you know, keep food on the table like we were at a smaller agency, uh, it still is the sort of situation where work comes along and it's tough to turn it away when it's not right. I was hoping you could for all of the listeners out there who feel that, who are in that situation where they have a hard time turning away the work, where they, you know, 
they can't see past that necessarily. Can you put in context why it matters so much to choose your clients and have the right ones so you can keep those and, and what the net impact of that is over time? Absolutely. And let me begin by saying I empathize with being in that position. Uh, you know, there are times in your business career and your personal life where you've got to take the gig because there needs to be food on the table and the lights need to stay on. The problem I find in many organizations is that they're continuing to take clients that are not a good fit long after they've passed by that threshold in the growth of their business, right? Because we get used to, oh, I don't want to say no to them because I need somebody. I got to be able to grow the business. We got to keep it going. And that's really important maybe in year one. And maybe it comes back in year four or five for a period of six months. You know, it's the ebb and flow of running a business. But all too often, that becomes the deciding factor that we never want to let any potential project to get away. And as a result, we end up doing things that we don't like to do for people that we don't like to work with. Uh, and it's demoralizing and it really beats an organization down. So what I think is most exciting is when you can actually work with people who value your work, who agree that there is a, um, an importance to the work you're doing and a significance to the work you're doing because then you're feeling validation from them. You're feeling validated about what you do and you're actually excited to work on the project. Let me tell you, I've seen plenty of creative come out of agencies where it's very clear just by looking at the creative that the two don't get along. It's, it's blatantly obvious. You're just like, oh my gosh, somebody was paid for that. In the same instance that I guarantee the client is looking and going, oh my gosh, we paid for that. And on the creative side, people may be saying, yeah, but that's because you hampered us like crazy and your feedback was make the logo bigger. I mean, come on, like this, this is driving me insane. But the moral of the story is when we find that sweet spot of customers that really get us and we really get them, that's where the magic is created. And that's where the opportunity for increased share of wallet, increased spend, increased referrals comes from. One last statistic that I talk about in the book. So I looked at all of the different, um, across a bunch of different industries, you know, around the world. And I looked at the likelihood of selling to a new prospect versus selling to an existing customer. And if you take all the numbers and you average them together across all industries globally, Trying to convince a new prospect to do business with you has somewhere between a 5 and 20% likelihood of success, okay? Now, again, that's all of them averaged in. Yours may be higher, yours may be lower. 5 to 20% is the average. If we look at the likelihood of getting an existing customer to spend more money with you, to do more projects with you, to buy more of your product or service, that number skyrockets to 60 to 70%. So not only is it exponentially easier to do, it's more profitable and more fun and faster. So what I don't understand is why businesses don't, instead of, you know, kind of this spray and pray, hope that they can get more customers by just, oh, let's, let's run another Facebook ad campaign. Let's put up another billboard. Instead, just say, how about we take all that money we were going to spend on outbound and just plow that into caring for our customers? It's not about how much you spend. It's about how thoughtful you are in your communications, in your interactions with your customers. That's really what makes the difference. The numbers make perfect sense because, you know, just in the way that you framed it, you know, we run a lot of Facebook ads for our clients. And I'm thinking, you know, if they were to take a lot of that money and put it back in and you look at, again, the better success rate of convincing existing prospects, and then also the, the profitability of that 5% increase in retention, what that does in profitability, I mean, it seems like the numbers make so much sense. It's amazing to me, honestly, uh, 
you know, again, I've been in business for a little while and until I heard your podcast with Mitch and, and read your book, I don't think I properly gave customer experience the credit that it deserves. And we've launched a massive uh, internal initiative here. Caroline and I are leading it ourselves uh, to really work on our first hundred days. Um, you know, I, I often, when I find a book that I really love, I, I try to buy some copies specifically. I try to buy signed copies. So thank you for sending those over. Oh, it's my uh, pleasure. You, you letting me pick those up from you. Um, and they make great client gifts. And I think about that as part of that, that whole nurturing phase, um, in our experience with our clients. So I, w I personally just want to thank you for writing the book. I want to thank you for coming on. I want to thank you for inspiring both uh, Caroline and myself. Uh, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, tell people where they can go and learn more about you, where they can learn more about the other projects you're working on, where they can hire you to speak. Anything that you want to let people know about that you're working on, please do it now. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, the best place to, uh, you can find the book anywhere that you like to buy books, right? Amazon, Barnes and Noble. We've got a book, we've got an ebook, we've got an audio book, which I always say on podcasts, if you've enjoyed listening to me, you can listen to me, read the book to you. Uh, the book is called Never Lose a Customer Again. Would love it if you check it out. Uh, and I always also share with folks, there's in chapter one, not only can you get a refund from Amazon or whoever, but in chapter one, I say, if you buy this book and you read this book and it doesn't radically change your business, just message me my emails in the book and I will happily refund what you paid for it because I really want people to get a ton of value out of this. Um, so that's the best place to find the book. As far as for me, uh, it's real simple, joeycoleman.com. That's J-O-E-Y, like a five-year-old you know somewhere. Uh, Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment, joeycoleman.com. Uh, the blog's there. You can see videos. You can be in contact with me. There's a starter kit that you can download that'll help you put these ideas that are in the book, in the book into practice. And I just really appreciate you two having me on the show. You know, I'm a big fan of what you're doing with the podcast. I'm a fan of folks that read the book and want to implement. And it's already clear just from our conversations that you're taking these things and taking them to the next level, which as an author is just music to my ears. So thanks so much for the support. Of course. And then for all of our listeners out there, um, it's worth mentioning because I don't, I don't think... Um, I don't think uh, we, we've covered it, but the book itself actually has a lot of worksheets at the end of each uh, of the chapters in each of the eight steps. So it's great because it really is a step-by-step -step guide that walks you through it. So um, totally, you know, fans of the book, not shills for the book, but uh, really strongly encouraged. So one thing I want to do before we uh, sign off and before we let you go is uh, subscribers, we want to run a subscriber book giveaway. We're going to give away a copy of the book, a signed copy of the book from Joey. Uh, here's how it works. If you're a subscriber to the show, just reply to any of the uh, emails. Uh, I'd, I'd assume <laughs> reply to the Joey Coleman episode. Uh, just reply to us and uh, tell us about your worst experience losing a client. Uh, and we will enter you for a chance to win the signed uh, copy. Uh, and if you're just an iTunes subscriber or an Overcast subscriber, just send us an email uh, to sharablepodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we'll be picking that. Uh, and giving away one of those books completely on us. Thank you so much. Um, so, I mean, that's all I got. I mean, there's so much we could talk about, but uh, I don't want to keep you all day. I'm really glad that you could join mm -hmm. us, Caroline. That's really cool. Yeah, this is um, awesome. I, I, I think I'm looking, I'm searching for a word. There's a word that I think describes this episode. What would you think that we could call this episode if we were to kind of describe it? What, what is it? I'd have to say it was shareable. Wait, the show's not over yet. I have some important announcements. If you made it this far, you're clearly a dedicated fan or you're in the middle of vacuuming and just haven't hit stop on your podcasting app. Whatever the case, we want to thank you. 
We're not just music to your ears, we're music to your inbox. If you subscribe to our email list at sharablepodcast.com slash subscribe, not only will you get access to our private Facebook group, you'll also get all of our blog posts, newsletters, special announcements, and more. You won't find any of that in your podcast feed. You can follow the show at shareable underscore pod on Twitter and just shareable podcast on everything else. You can find Jeff online at jeffgibber.com and you can connect with me on Twitter at Caroline Sohn because I don't have a website yet. So go ahead, call us, leave a message, subscribe to our list, leave a rating, review us on iTunes, tell a friend, tell your mom. If she's like my mom, she'll love it. And now for the thank you portion to all the folks that make this podcast possible. Shout out to DJ Quads for the use of our theme song, Always, and Ahamitsu for the use of our outro song, Adventures. And a big thank you to Ray Bueno for all of that sexy production value and our lovely intern, Natalie, who helps me put the show together every week.